With two or more gathered, you are in our midst. So this morning, Jesus, we look to you. We take our eyes off of everything we've seen this past week, and we look to you. I thank you, Father. Your word says, as we behold your glory, we are transformed from glory to glory by your spirit. So this morning, as we look to you, Jesus, may we all be transformed by you. And this morning, we rest. We stop trying to win the battle. We stop trying to win the wars of life. And this morning, we rest. We rest. We take up a position of rest Because that is the posture of victory. So this morning we thank you that you have won the war. You have won every battle. And you have made everyone in here more than conquerors. And this morning we rejoice in your victory. And we thank you that you are our heavenly David. We thank you that you have gone ahead of us. So that all we have left to do is collect the spoils. And we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. I'm glad you're here. Um, I have... I have a lot to share, but I'm not going to try and get it all out this morning. I said that last week, and then we were here for an hour. But none of you complained. So the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. I won't do that. Anyways, let's dive right into the message. If you have your Bible, let's pick up where we started last Sunday, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm going to share some of what I've been talking with a lot of you about last couple of days. You know me. If I have something to share, I'm not going to keep it to myself. Therein lies the problem. Because when Sunday morning comes around, I'm sharing something brand new and everyone just looks at you like, I already know this. You told me this two days ago. So, yes, brand new. How are you this morning? You're so quiet. It's abnormal for you. I tell you a joke, but every time I tell a joke, Christina says, stop, just leave him alone. No. She said, tell it anyway. I should tell the coffin joke. We won't do that one, though. Has, we have new faces. Can I tell the coffin joke? We got time. We got time. I told, it's the Edwards thing. We got time. I'm going to tell the coffin joke real quick, and we'll read 2 Corinthians 10. <laughs> so anyways, there was a man walking home late one night. The street lights were turning on, so it was getting dark, and all of a sudden he heard a thumping noise behind him. He thought someone was walking behind him. So he turns over his shoulder, and to his surprise, he sees a coffin. Naturally, he panics and starts to run towards his house. The faster he runs, the faster he can hear the coffin hopping down the street behind him. He runs up the stairs, looks over his shoulder, fumbles with his keys. He opens the door, slams the door shut, and he hears the coffin coming up the stairs. He backs up slowly, and sure enough, the coffin breaks down the door and starts to hop closer towards him. So he runs upstairs, goes into his bathroom, locks the bathroom door, and starts to panic. Obviously, he's been panicking. Starts to panic again. The coffin comes up the stairs slowly, breaks down the bathroom door, and is inching his way closer. He reaches over and grabs everything he can. He grabs a soap. He grabs a toothbrush. He grabs a bottle of cough medicine, and the coffin stops. <laughs> Last time I was about to share that, just so you know, Mima said no. <laughs> she may not remember it, but I did. <laughs> Now, real quick, we're talking about spiritual warfare. Now everyone's smiling. We're relaxed. Are you, are you with me? All right, let's do this. <laughs> the coffin stop. I love that joke. <laughs> How do we get that far ahead? No, we're going to back up. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now we're talking about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. And I just want to touch real quick what we shared last week. Okay? So we're going to start with this verse, but we're not going to hang out here too long because I have something that I believe is directly from the Lord for you. In fact, before we read this, let me, let me explain why I believe that. All right? Coming into last week, I thought we were going to be talking about speaking in tongues. 
When it comes to spiritual warfare, to me, I just go straight to speaking in tongues. This is the rest. So, hey, that's that's it for me. But as I was preparing, I felt the Lord shift me and point me a different direction. Now, I'm not going to get into last week. In fact, last week, at someone's admonition, we've decided as much as we can, we will try to burn the copies of the previous Sunday and we'll have them in the back for you. So this morning, I have uh, five copies of last Sunday. If we don't have enough, I'll burn more for you. But suffice to say this, last week we shared about spiritual warfare. And when it comes to spiritual warfare, we always thought it was struggling, it was sweating, it was hours and hours. In fact, this morning I was in Starbucks, I had some time, I got here early. Um, I was in Starbucks and I was just reading the story of David. And if you remember the story with David and Bathsheba, do you remember that story? All right, he, he, he takes Bathsheba and he ends up having her husband killed. And they have a son. And because he sinned and he was under the law, the son ends up dying for David's mistake. You remember that? Now, while the son is ill, before he dies, David gets on his face. He starts to fast and he starts to cry. The Bible says weeping. When it's all said and done, they come to him and they start whispering. And David realizes the child is now dead. He gets up, he cleans himself off, and he goes and starts eating. The servants come to him and say, hey, what? Do you, what most people do this. They fast and they cry after the death. They don't do it before and then start eating once the person's dead. And David said, what do you want me to do? Do you think all my fasting can bring him back? And all of a sudden it dawned on me. He was fasting because he was hoping God would be gracious. Now, it started, I'm meditating on this. This was this morning. Spiritual warfare for them in the Old Testament was, I hope God moves, so I will fast. Because fasting was a button that we can push to make God jump. Are you with me? So the church has been teaching fasting, and we've been teaching, and I hate to say this, fasting and prayer, fasting and prayer, as if we can push a button, and all of a sudden, whatever battle we're going through, we'll automatically win. Welcome to Spiritual Warfare 101. (laughs) If you're struggling, it's because you're not fasting enough. If you're not fasting, if you still don't get the answer, it's because you're not praying enough. Are you with me? And yet, David says, I, I can, I, the verse escapes me at the moment. I was studying this morning, just looking at it. The, David says, how will I know whether or not God will be gracious to me? What was the goal? If I fast, maybe God will be gracious to me. But he wasn't because they were still under the law. But what's the truth for all of us? Under the new covenant, we know that God will be gracious to us. Spiritual warfare is not how much you fast. It's not how much you pray. Spiritual warfare is resting in what Jesus did for you at the cross. Are you with me? It's resting in what Jesus did for you at the cross. We don't strive to win. We strive to rest. We strive to rest. And the more we stay in rest, the more he can get done for us. But you know what? We have a heavenly father that says, I will not work with you. I do not help those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible anyways, in case you didn't know. All right? I don't help those who help themselves. If you want to work, I'll let you work. But if you don't want to work, then I will work for you. So you rest, I will work. And our take in this church on spiritual warfare is not what we have seen for the past 2,000 years that the church has taught. All right, Our take on spiritual warfare is this. David goes out and fights the giant. Nobody talks about the army that was standing behind the hills terrified. Who sent him out to fight for us? He's going to lose. And yet he won. Now, that's our position. You can be afraid that you don't know how it's going to turn out. It doesn't matter. Let me say this. Your heavenly David has already stepped onto the battlefield. All right. You being afraid has nothing to do with his victory or not. Because Jesus has made you not a conqueror. He has made you more than conquerors. Then we must let him make us more. 
If we step onto the battlefield with him, and if we win, we become conquerors. But the problem is this. At the end of the battle, we're tired. We're worn out. We're beat up. And we go home and we say, I can't do anything else. Oh, God. Now I turn to you. And he's sitting there fresh, smells good, and says, well, I was waiting for this the whole time. (laughs) I was waiting for you to stop so that I could do this for you. I never called you to be a conqueror. I called you to be more than conquerors. Amen. So we strive to enter the rest. Anyways, that said, are you ready to go home? <laughs> That's my message. <laughs> so let's pick up at 2 Corinthians 3. I'm going to share some things. Um, like I said, based on time, I won't go too long this morning. But man, I'm excited about this message. Are, we, are you with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 3. Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons, say weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Say, of Christ. Christ. Not to Christ, but of Christ. All right? It's not bring all my thoughts captive to Christ. You must obey Christ. It's bringing all my thoughts to the reality that Christ was obedient. And because of Christ's obedience, I can rest. Are you still with me? So now, last week we shared on this. I don't want to spend too much time on this. But last week we looked at verse 5. Casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge, bringing every thought. Where is the battlefield? In your mind. The battlefield is not your job. I know you think your boss is your enemy. And for the married people, I know you think the battle is at home. I can say that because I'm married. (laughs) All right. The battlefield is not a geographical location. It is not outside. The battlefield is here. Are you with me? Now, why is this so important? Because once you understand where the battlefield is, you will change the way you approach spiritual warfare. As long as you believe spiritual warfare is over here, you will act like spiritual warfare is over here. But once you understand spiritual warfare is here, it changes how you approach it. Now, what we shared last week, I didn't, I I just said it briefly, but I want to show you. Look at verse 6. I said it last week, but I want to show you. Look at this. Look at verse 6. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, that seems like a random verse, but let's read it in context. Verse 5, one more time. I'm sorry, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity, watch this, every thought into captivity to the obedience, the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, I wanted to share this verse. We didn't share it last week. I I barely grazed over it. Obedience in the New Testament is not what you do. It's what you believe. Are you with me? The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, I am an apostle called by Jesus Christ to bring all of you to the obedience of the faith. Not the obedience of works, but the obedience of faith. When God gave the Ten Commandments, everyone had an option. I can either do what this says, or I can do the opposite. Are you with me? And everyone failed. (laughs) No one made it. We all failed. So Jesus comes and says this, and I meant to say this last Wednesday night for our last Wednesday night crew. 
Hey, Jesus comes and he says, hey, you know what? Where you fail, I will live this life perfectly. I will be perfectly obedient. Then at the cross, when it comes time for God to either reward or God to judge, at the cross, I will be judged for all your sin, your lifetime of sin, so that now you can be blessed with my lifetime of obedience. So now spiritual warfare is not, listen, it it goes back to what? The obedience of Christ, Satan comes to you and says, you haven't done what God has asked you to do. Then you cannot expect God to bless you. You haven't done what God has told you to do. So I have every right to bring this into your life. I have every right to put sickness into your life, disease into your life. This relationship is falling apart. Why? Because of what you have done and what you have not done. And all the while, Paul was saying, hey, bring those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, where Christ was obedient. Why? Because in my mistakes, Christ was judged so that in my mistakes, I can still be blessed. I can still be blessed. I was so glad Stephen said that this morning. Because you know what? The Bible says Jesus took his blood and he didn't just sprinkle it on us. After he was resurrected, he said to Mary, don't hold on to me. I haven't yet gone to my father. Why? Because I need to sprinkle my blood there. What does the blood mean? (laughs) Sin has been removed. Now sinners, sinners, people who have sinned and still make mistakes are seated next to God Almighty, the judge of the entire earth. And when he looks at us, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood. When the enemy says, how can you expect God to bless you? I'm in Christ, seated. And there's blood on this seat. (laughs) It's been paid for. It's been paid for. That's why in this church, we don't accept it. We don't settle for it. Stop settling for things in life and start, start accepting, hey, it's not my obedience. It's Christ's obedience. Yes. Amen? Yes. Oh, man. Anyways, you ready to go home now? This is verse one. Anyways, let's keep going. All right. <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> now, verse six says, and ready to punish all disobedience. If obedience is not what you do, it's what you believe, then disobedience is not believing the truth. <laughs> wow. Are you with me? It's not believing the truth. So he says, I'm gonna, when I come in person, Paul, I'm not there yet. That's why I'm writing this letter. But when I come, all disobedience will be punished. Everyone who comes in wants to hang out with us, but they refuse to believe this Jesus who has set us all free. They have no place among us. Are you with me? Don't get me wrong. Church, we, we welcome everybody. But if you're here and you've been here and you still deny Jesus, find somewhere else. (laughs) Find somewhere else. This place is not for you. So Paul says, when I come, all disobedience will be punished. And watch this. Your obedience, your believing is fulfilled. That's beautiful. You know why? Because some of us, listen, some of us, we have believed God through the storm. That's why that song Hills and Valleys, I believe God through the valleys, not just on the mountains. I believe him through the valley. And because I believe him through the valley, know this, my obedience will be fulfilled means he will reward your obedience. Because you could believe me through the storm. Oh, I'm going to make you great for this. (laughs) Are you with me? Spiritual warfare. Now let's move on before we get stuck here for the rest of the Sunday. (laughs) Now watch this. John chapter one. John chapter 1, when we talk about obedience, okay, obedience to the truth. Watch this, John chapter 1. John says, for out of his fullness, and this is from the Amplified translation. I meant to put the Amplified, actually the word Amplified on this so we would all know. But this is from the Amplified translation. It says, for out of Christ's fullness, 
or you say out of God's fullness, the superabundance of his grace and truth. We have all received grace upon grace, spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. God has stacked you. Verse 17, for the law. Now, the word for can also be the word because. Okay? For or because. Now, watch this. For out of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. All right? For, verse 17, for or because. Why? Because the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. (laughs) Watch this. The law was not, the law did not come. The law was given. All right, now at the danger of sounding like another preacher who I, who I think is pretty cool. All right, the law did not come, the law was given, and given through a mediator. Now at Mount Sinai in Exodus 20, Moses, they all, God said, hey, all the people, thou shalt not, thou, and the people said, whoa, that's too heavy. Moses, you go up for us. All right, tell us what God has to say and come back and tell us. Because if we get too close, we don't, we don't want to get too close. We don't like the way it sounds. Now, that's what happens in many churches today. But that doesn't happen here in Jesus' name. There you go. (laughs) They said, Moses, you go up. Now, it looked like God gave it directly to Moses. But in Acts, Stephen said this. God gave it to an angel who then gave it to Moses, who then gave it to the people. So it's impersonal. Are you with me? It's impersonal. When God gave the do's and don'ts, the religion, it was impersonal. He didn't want to come himself. Are you with me? Because the law was never his heart. Thou shalt not was never his heart. You earning every blessing was never his heart. So then when it comes to grace and truth, oh, he doesn't give it. He comes. Grace and truth are a person and they come. Now you say, well, Matthew, what about truth? Isn't all of God's word truth? Is all of this truth? Yes. Yes. But what is the present truth? Are we under the law or are we under grace? Because the law says thou shalt not, but grace says I will, I will, I will. Are you with me? So are we under one or are we on the other? Hey, truth is not on the side of the law. Truth is on the side of grace. So then what is believing the truth? Believing grace. Are you with me? When you believe grace, you are believing truth. There's some people who still believe the law. Is that true? Yeah, the law is true. But the law was meant to bring me to the end of myself. As long as I hold on to the law, the enemy can continue to wreak havoc in my life. But the moment I stop letting the law be the rule of thumb in my life, all of a sudden, I switch sides to grace. Where it's not based on me anymore, it's based on him. And that is believing the truth. See, now, you talk about hills and valleys earlier, right? When I'm going through the storm, if I refuse to believe, I'm getting what I deserve. And I stand believing I will get what Jesus deserves. That is believing the truth. In fact, I'm not on schedule. This is none of this is my message. In, in Romans, in Romans, we talked about hope a couple a couple weeks ago. You remember that we talked about hope. You know, there's a verse in Romans that says against hope, Abraham hoped and became the father of many nations. All right. Now, hope don't don't be confused. Hope is a confident expectation of good or evil. Now, for the believer, always good. For the unbeliever, always evil. That's why in the world, your, co- your, your, your co-workers, I hope it works out, but they know it's not. <laughs> but for you, you say, I hope it works out because you know confidently something good's going to happen. Are you with me? So Abraham, against what he should have expected, expected something better. 
and receive the promise. Are you with me? When you believe God in spite of what you should expect, you still get the promise. Are you still with me? Man, it's hot up here. <laughs> I'm sweating up here. This is not normal. Anyways, let's keep going. Now, let's talk about the armor of God. Let's talk about the armor of God. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 real quick. Ephesians chapter 6. And I apologize for the humming noise. We will work on that. That's not going to help. But thank you. I thank you. The Lord bless you for your kindness to me. It doesn't work for your parents. When they do things like that, I don't think they get blessed for it. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to do that. I'm your son. <laughs> the coffin stopped. <laughs> Ephesians 6. Now, I, I told you to say weapons earlier, and I apologize. I got distracted. I'm having a good time. Are you having a good time? Good. It's the microphone. That's what it is. I don't hold microphones. Holding the microphone, I'm in the zone, man. <laughs> All right. I asked you to say weapons earlier. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, the weapons of our warfare. The weapons of our warfare. So a couple of days ago, I thought, let me look up the word weapons. Let me just look it up, right? We don't look up words like we, we make sense. We always look up words that don't fit. But I thought, let me look up weapons. Weapons in the Hebrew is the word hiplon. Uh, in the English, it would be a H-I-P-L-O-N, hiplon. And hiplon is one of those words that it's a, all, it's a singular, but it's also a plural. For example, you don't say, I saw a lot of deers outside. You say, I saw a lot of deer. Deer is already plural. You, you know what I'm saying? So the word weapons in the Greek is actually already plural. So it means it can either be one, it can be many. But listen, we don't just have one weapon. We have several weapons. Okay? Now, the weapons that we were always taught were... Uh, Fasting. There we go. I used that earlier. Fasting. That's a weapon. I suffice to say this. If it does not teach it in the New Testament, throw it out. Thank you for that thunderous amen. If the Apostle Paul did not teach it to you, don't let anybody just preach to you and tell you what they think. All right? We've heard enough of what people think. I want what the Bible says is true. Okay? So I said, what are the actual weapons? If our weapons are not physical, but we have weapons, what are the weapons? So I look up the word weapons, and all of a sudden, I come to this awesome passage in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, we're going to talk about the armor of God, but there's something interesting about the armor of God that we have to know before we read this. The armor of God. Do you take armor off and beat someone over the head with your breastplate? No. If someone is on the battlefield taking their armor off, they're probably going to die first. All right? You don't take your helmet off and start fighting your, your enemy. So... It doesn't look like there are weapons here. We always use this for spiritual warfare. But there's a reason why, and I want to show you, okay? I'm going to show you the weapons. In fact, suffice to say, the weapons appear at the end. But man, let's get to the end. Are you ready? This is, I'm excited. Watch this, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his, of his might, not your own. Not your own, in his might. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to what? Stand. stand. Not advance. Stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, for, for me as a pastor, I'm trying to stay on track. <laughs> for me as a pastor, I remember when, I, when we first started the church, I took some time to kind of research, find church planters. All right, we're, we're planting a church. How do you do it? What do you need to do? And I came across this one teaching that it's not, it's not an isolated thing. A lot of churches across the board, they do this. 
Now, keep in mind, in the Old Testament, they had the shadow. And we're going to look in the shadow in just a moment. We're going to pull back the veil to see Christ. Okay? But suffice to say this, in the Old, they had a shadow. When they came to Jericho, remember, when they crossed the Jordan River and they step into Jericho, God told Joshua, I want you to walk around the city once for six days. And on the seventh day, seven times. Then shout the trumpet, the walls will come down. So what do we do? Well, brother, we got to go walk. Now, walking is good. I believe in walking. But when we think our walking equates spiritual warfare, you missed it. There are people who walk every day of their lives and they are not waging war. Thank you for that thunder. Say amen. All right. It's not. It's not. They had the shadow. They had to walk around and stay quiet. In fact, if you know the story, they had to blow the trumpet once for six days. Every day they had to blow the trumpet around it. The trumpet signifying we've already won. They had to pronounce victory over their enemies one time every day for six days. And on the seventh day, they did it seven times. Then the walls came down. The horn, the trumpet, a picture of the death of the ram. They were pronouncing the ram has died for us. And that's what brought their victory. That's why in this church, we don't give you things to do. We give you Jesus to think. So when you walk out of this place, you walk out saying, Jesus, you have died. Jesus, you have died. Jesus, you have paid. And the walls of whatever you're trying to conquer will come down. Amen. So anyways, they had the shadow. And for some reason in the New Testament, we try to do what they did to get the same results. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, this person walked around for three months and then it happened. You're telling me God can't move faster than three months? No, it's not about time. It's not about time. Please don't, don't misunderstand. It's not about time. But you know what? Let's see what the Bible teaches. Let's stop taking what this person says is good and take good ideas from the old. We are not in the old. We are in the new. And the new is concealed in the old. So don't get stuck on what you see. All those things are shadows. Let's pull back the veil. Now, before we pull back the veil, let's go back to this word of armor. Hey, armor, we've got weapons at the end. But why do you wear armor? Armor is not offensive. Armor is defensive. So we got a whole lot of defensive pieces of armor here and only a few pieces of offensive weapons. Something doesn't add up. So then I said, hey, the word armor is actually the same word for the weapons of our warfare. The weapons of our warfare in 1 Corinthians, it's the same word, hiplon, H-I-P-L-O-N in the English. And all of a sudden it dawned on me when he said, hey, pull down strongholds, casting down arguments and bringing every thought captive. It's not just your offensive, it's your defensive. Are you with me? When you're wearing the whole armor, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. So let's watch this. Let's, let's watch. The word stand appears for the first time right here. All right. Stand against the wiles for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Not conquer withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. There's the third time. Verse 14. Stand. There's the fourth time. <laughs> Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, real quick, let me share this with you. I'm trying to stay on track. Let me share this with you. I have a lot to share. <laughs> I was meditating on this two or three days ago, just thinking, stand, stand. Okay, Lord, I already know this. But the more I prayed in the spirit, God started. As I've been praying in the spirit this past week, every time I open my Bible, it's like I can't even get two verses in before the Lord starts sharing with me. That's why I have so much to share this morning. Am I talking fast, by the way? I'm trying not to talk fast. If my wife was in here, she'd be like, slow down. 
But she's helping out in the children's church. <laughs> I hope I'm not talking too fast. Buy this. No, don't buy it. We'll give you the CD. So anyways, I was meditating on this word, stand, stand. I, Lord, I already know this. And then it dawned on me. Wait a second. He never told us to conquer. When it comes to spiritual warfare, we always think we have to conquer something, brother. We're going to go and we're going to conquer this territory. We're going to conquer this region. Hey, the Israelites had to walk around Jericho. We're going to walk around that place because we're going to conquer this place. And we're going to win this fight in Jesus' name. The Bible actually never says in the New Testament to conquer anything. Never says it. When it comes to spiritual warfare or the armor of God, the whole objective is not to wrestle. It's to what? Four times he says stand. Now, we, I knew that. Even the word wrestle is the same word for wrestle in high school, what we see today, right? In high school wrestling, and they do it in the Olympics, where you have a circle. And the goal is to stay in the circle, not get out, stay in the circle. What did Jesus do for all of us? He put us in the favor of God. And now the devil is trying to fight us to get us out of the circle. And he said, hey, I'm going to give you my armor, the armor of God, so that you will still be standing. When he comes at you, you'll still be standing. Not trying to conquer, not trying to advance. Let me conquer for you. Let me advance for you. But you will still be standing. Are you with me? Are you with me? So watch this. So I was meditating on this. And as I was meditating, the Lord said, son... Do you realize in the Old Testament, when they were coming into the promised land, do you realize I never told them to fight? Now, I know when they get in, he tells them, send this many troops, go out. I'm not talking about once they were in. The whole way leading up to the promised land, go back and look for yourself in Exodus. God said, I want you to go. I have given you the land. Go and take possession of it. That is vastly different from telling someone to go fight for something that's already theirs take possession. God said, I've already given you the land. There are giants in the land. Don't worry about the giants. They got big houses. I let them take the land. So when you take their houses, you've got a big house, (laughs) giants, big, deep wells. I let them stay so that when you take their well, when I, when you risk, when you possess their well, you've got a big well, big vineyards because giants have big hands and they they have big vineyards. (laughs) Are you with me? Now, I'm saying all this for a reason. He never told them in Exodus, go, and when you get there, we're going to fight a good fight, and we're going to win. I'm going to give you all these things, I'm going to fight with you. He told them, go and take possession of it. Never said fight. Now, once they got into the promised land, things changed. They changed. And God said, now I have to adjust. Fine, let's go fight. You want to fight that bad? Let's go fight. But the original quote was this. Go and take possession of it. Because I've given it to you. When... (laughs) What has God said that it belongs to you? The vision that God has given you for your family, for your life, the things that the places God wants to take you. He's not telling you to fight for it. He's already given it to you. It's on us to possess it. And when you go into the promised land, possession is not raising swords and spears and shields and screaming war cries. Possession is walking around and the mountain, the walls come down. Are you with me? We're not called to conquer. We're called to possess. And people who possess are more than conquerors. Let's keep going. We're going to get stuck in Ephesians. <laughs> Let's keep going. So what does he say? Verse 14, having girded your waist with truth, your belt is truth. It holds everything up. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and I don't want to get caught on the arm room because I'm coming to something, all right? Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, do you know what's the most vital organ that covers right here? The most vital organ here, your heart. And what covers your heart? The breastplate of righteousness 
When you are established in righteousness, oppression shall be far from you. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. One of the biggest fears as a parent is that Parker would grow up and not know the Lord. But what does he say? When you are established in righteousness, all your children shall be taught by the Lord. So your heart can be at peace. Let's keep going. Verse 15. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now watch this. All of this has been defensive. All of this has been defensive. Let me show you about your shield. Let me show you something cool about your shield. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Now why say above all? If you forget that your salvation is eternal. If you forget that you are standing in the righteousness of Jesus. If you forget that his peace has made your way straight. If you forget those things, do not forget your shield of faith. (laughs) Why? Don't forget your shield of faith. This shield is a shield that covers you all the way around. It's not a shield that only covers you on the left and you got to watch your right. It's a shield that covers you all the way around, head to toe. Watch this. Taking the shield of faith. Faith is rest. For we who have believed do enter into the rest. So watch this. Taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, I was meditating on this. We've shared on this before. But then I saw this. I never saw this before. He said, with, with, well, I'm sorry, with which you will be able to quench. Now, every other piece of armor is something you put on and it works. You don't have to do anything with it. You just put it on and it works. But when it comes to the shield of faith, he says, you will be able to. Now, that means this. There's some people who have a shield of faith. They're not quenching everything. Are you with me? Some people have a shield of faith, but they're not quenching. But he says, if you have the shield of faith, you will be able to quench all, not some, all. Now, watch this. Fiery darts of the wicked one. Darts is also the word arrows. Now, that should stand out to this church. Why? Because Ishmael. Well, I just jumped out in the Old Testament. (laughs) Abraham had two women in his life. Paul said both of these women were covenants. His wife, Sarah, is a picture of Mount Zion. She was free. Her son was born into freedom. Her son receives an inheritance. All of us who are on Mount Zion, we are sons of Sarah. Sarah is a picture of grace. We are born into freedom in Christ. We are free. We are free. And an inheritance belongs to us because we are free and we are sons. On the other hand, he had another woman and her name was Hagar. Hagar was a slave. She was, she was a slave and her son was also born a slave. She's a picture of Mount Sinai. All this is found in Galatians. She's a picture of Mount Sinai where God gave the law. But on Mount Zion, God gave the spirit. On Mount Sinai, God gave the do's and don'ts. On Mount Zion, God gave grace. Are you with me? So all those who are still trying to earn it on their own, you're Mount Zion. You're still acting as a slave, still walking in slavery. The Bible says her son, Ishmael, the picture of Mount Sinai, he grew up to become an archer, one who shoots arrows. Fast forward a couple years, fast forward um, 400 years. At Mount Sinai, God said, if anyone touches the mountain, they'll be shot through with an arrow. Now I'm giving the Ten Commandments. Even if their animal touches it, they'll be stoned or shot through with an arrow. Why fiery darts? Because the enemy is shooting darts at you from Mount Sinai. (laughs) He's taking fire from Mount Sinai and shooting darts at you. And don't forget, fire represents judgment. If God receives your sacrifice, fire comes from heaven and falls on your altar, falls on the sacrifice, and your sacrifice is judged in your place. Satan is shooting arrows of judgment at God's people. And the way to quench fire is with what? 
With what? Water. With water. What quenches fire? Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. (laughs) Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. When you pray in the spirit, listen, for a long time, I thought the shield of faith, stay in rest. It is. It is stay in rest. Stay in rest. But how do you actively enter into rest? For this is the rest and the refreshing. For with stammering lips and another tongue, I will speak to these people, says the Lord. When you pray in the spirit, rivers of living water surround you. And the next time the enemy shoots an arrow at you to judge you and make you feel that God is judging you, you quench every arrow. Are you with me? Now let's keep going. Watch this. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now watch this. This eluded me for so many years. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We see sword of the spirit, we think sword, and then we go straight to word of God. Now, there's two words for the word word in the Bible, logos and rhema. Logos is written, rhema is spoken. In fact, I think I have it up here so you can see it. Logos is written, rhema is spoken. Yes, I do. Now, why is this so important? Because it's the sword of the spirit. Now, when you need a sword, let me say this, and I say this carefully. This is not the sword. When the Holy Spirit makes a verse come alive, it becomes the sword. Are you with me? If you're in a financial crisis and you open your Bible and say, oh, God, give me a sword. And you open up to Isaiah 53 that says, by your stripes, you were healed. Yes, I got my sword. That sword may not help you. All right. It may not do a lot for you. Might be a little dull on the side. All right. But if you're sick and you need a sword and you open up to Isaiah 53 and it says, by his stripes, you are healed. You have a sword. The Holy Spirit has just given you a sword. Now, listen, it's the spoken, spoken word, the spoken word, not the written. All right. Too often we just go find verses. But what is the Holy Spirit saying right now? Because what he says right now, that becomes the sword. Now, with the sword, again, this is not about advancing. This is not about advancing. Where are we trying to stay? We're trying to stay in that favor. We're trying to stay where we are, where Jesus put us. So if we're not advancing with the sword, then I submit to you, we are cutting something off. Are you with me? We're cutting something off. Now, while I was meditating on this, let me close with this. Are you with me? Are you okay? Okay. You got quiet on me. (laughs) Watch this. Cutting something off. Oh, Oh, man. Okay, 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 okay. Here we go. I'm going to, okay, we're going to close with these last two verses. Sword of the Spirit. I submit to you, and I'm going to show you in just a moment. I submit to you the sword of the Spirit. How do you get the sword? By praying in the Spirit. When you pray in the Spirit, He can give you a sword. All right? The more you pray in the Spirit, He'll give you a verse. He'll give you something. But when you pray in the Spirit, He will give you the sword. Now, I'm going to show you that in just a moment, but before I do, let me show you this, and we'll close with this last two passages. 1 Corinthians 14 says this, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying or by teaching even things without life? Now, watch the things he mentions, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? What are we talking about? Tongues. Then he gives us two musical instruments, the flute and the harp. But watch the third instrument. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? 
What are we, the whole chapter is talking about praying in the spirit. It's talking about praying in tongues, praying in tongues. Hey, look, these three instruments are types and shadows of praying in the spirit. Now, while I was preparing all of this, I only put this verse up to show you the context. While I was preparing all of this, the sword of the spirit is not to advance. I submit to you is to cut something off. Okay, to cut something off. But how do you receive the sword of the spirit? I believe by praying in the spirit. Okay. now the reason why I showed you this, the trumpet is a type and shadow of praying in the spirit. When you see it in the Old Testament, you see trumpet, you see horn, you see flute, you see harp. Don't just look at the musical instrument. Realize God is trying to say something here. So let me show you this in Judges and we'll close. All right. Judges chapter seven. Now we're going to skip around because I don't want to read the whole chapter. Oh, man. Judges chapter seven. Now, keep in mind, God has already called Gideon. He said, Gideon, I want you to be the one to deliver my people. And Gideon says, why me? I'm the youngest. I'm the least. My house is the least. My family is the least. I am the least of the least of the least. And God says, yes, that's why I want you. (laughs) I don't want you because you're great. I want you because you're the least. When God called Saul, he said, you were small in your own eyes. But look what you have become now. Now I'll find somebody else. (laughs) Stay small in your own eyes. Stay the least in the room. I am the least. Paul, in his his old age, near death, he looked back and said, I am the greatest chief of sinners. He wasn't cheating on anybody. He wasn't sinning. But Paul realized the older he got, the more he needed Jesus. Are you with me? So watch this. He calls Gideon and Gideon says, well, Lord, if this is really you, prove it. Now I'm skipping details for the sake of time. The Lord finally proves it's him. And he says, all right, now go. So Gideon goes. We're going to pick up at verse 2. It says, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. Now, keep in mind, the Amalekites, the Midianites, they've all come together and they're about to attack Israel. And Gideon, all of a sudden, the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew the trumpet. And all of Israel responded, let's go to battle. Let's go to battle. We see the favor of God on him. Let's go to battle. Now, let me give you a quick secret. Gideon's name means hewer or someone who cuts off things. The root of his name means to cut off, but Gideon as a name means someone who cuts things off. What does the sword of the spirit do? Cut things off. The enemy has tried to attach things to you, but by the grace of God this morning, we are going to cut it off. Amen. So watch this. Gideon, his name means someone who cuts off. The people who are with you, God says, you have too many people. There are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying my own hand has saved me. God says, I don't want people who when they win, they're going to say it was on their own. Be the person who says when I win, I have to give God glory. And God says, I want you then. (laughs) I want you. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Good God. He started off with 33 and then 22 left. That's a lot of people gone. But it's okay. We still got 10,000. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. (laughs) Bring them down to the water. Now watch this. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of what? How How should we be making decisions on this side of the cross? Bring them down to the water. If you don't know what to do, pray in the spirit and at the water, you'll find the discernment for the choice. Watch this. The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Wow. God didn't say you can test them. He said, I will test them. 
Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. Let me say this. When you pray in the spirit, your discernment will become greater. The more you pray in the spirit, your discernment between life and death will become greater. Not good and evil. Life and death. Then we come to verse 5. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water from his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. And Gideon was probably happy. Thank God I'm only losing 300. And yet, then the Lord said to Gideon, verse 7, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you. And deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. And then Gideon feared and trembled. <laughs> I had 10,000. You cut me down to 300. <laughs> now, I know he was afraid because the very next verse, God says, if you don't think I'll do it, go and listen to what they're saying. All right. I'll explain that in just a moment. But keep in mind, watch this. Then God said to Gideon, by the 300 who lapped, I will save you. How did they lap? They lapped as? Dogs, I know there is teaching and preaching saying that people who bring the water to their mouths versus people who submerge their head. Let me say this. Dogs in the Bible are always negative things. They're never good. Dogs are nasty, disgusting things in the Bible. Okay. Jesus, when he was approached by the Syrophoenician woman, she said, Jesus, save my daughter. There's a demon spirit that's oppressing her. And Jesus said, it's not fitting to give the children's bread to dogs. Wow. It's not fitting to give the children's bread to dogs. And the woman, she changed. She said, yes, but even the puppies eat the crumbs from the table. He smiled at her and said, Ooh, great is your faith. Go home. Your daughter's healed. Now, why did Jesus say that? And I'm going to explain why all this is connected. And I'm closing with this. Why did Jesus say that? She came to him saying, son of David, son of David, have mercy. She was pretending to be something she was not. She was a Gentile. And Jesus came to the house of Israel. And she is not qualified as a Gentile, but she comes pretending as if she's a Jew. She says, son of David, son of David. That's what Jewish people say. So he says, it's not fitting to give the children's bread to dogs. Own up to who you are. She says, fine. But even the puppies identifying, even the puppies eat the crumbs that fall from the table. He smiled at her. Why? Why did he smile? Why did he even say that to her? Because now you see you're unqualified. Your unqualifications have qualified you for my grace. The things that disqualify you have now qualified you for my grace. Great is your faith. Go home, your daughter is healed. <laughs> Go home, your daughter is healed. Now, dogs in the Bible are nasty. They're unqualified. And what did God tell Gideon? Everyone who laps water with his tongue as a dog laps, set apart. Verse 7, then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you. Whew. Now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. I know there's a, I know there's teaching across the board that, you know, that says, well, those who lap, they bring the water to their mouth and it's the, it's the action of bring. I'm not against that. I'm just saying this. Look, dogs are bad images. God said, everyone who looks like a dog, that's the ones I'm going to use. Aren't you glad you're the least of those in Charlotte? <laughs> so let's skip ahead real quick. Like I said, I'm going to skip through this chapter. So we're not here all day. Verse 15. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation. Now what happened? God says, I'm going to save you with 300. Gideon says, God, this is not enough. God says, fine, go out and listen tonight at the tent of one of the Midianites. So Gideon takes his friend, his servant, and they sneak into the camp and they listen to one of the men. And two men in the tent are talking. And one of them jumps up and says, oh, my God, I had a horrible dream. 
And the other one says, what was your dream? He says, I had a dream that a barley loaf of bread came tumbling into our camp and it hit one of the tents and the tent fell over and all the tents fell and it was over for us. And his friend looked at him and said, by the grace of God, that is the sword of Gideon. We're all going to die. And Gideon says, we won. Let's go. Let's go. And he gets, <laughs> he gets all the men together. And they, now listen, why barley loaf? Who is Jesus? He said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of Do you know why he calls himself bread of life? In the Old Testament, God said, put one loaf of bread for every tribe of Israel in the tabernacle. That's what the priest will eat. Twelve loaves represent one tribe of Israel. Jesus says, I am also bread. What you are, that's me. I submit to you, they didn't see Gideon. They saw Jesus. But Jesus identifies himself with us. So when they looked at him, they saw Gideon. And when your enemies look at you, they're actually seeing Jesus inside of you. They just don't know it. And they said, oh my God, we're going to lose. Because if they had seen Gideon, they would have realized he's only got 300. He's only got 300. If your enemies really knew how much you had, they wouldn't be afraid. But they don't see you. They see Christ. <laughs> they see Christ. So watch this. When Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshiped and he returned to the camp of Israel. Everybody worships after you know you're going to win. But worship before. All right. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. Let me say this. The, 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 the pitchers and the torches are irrelevant. And I'm going to show you why. Because this morning I am a type and shadow of Gideon putting a trumpet in everyone's hand. When you walk out of here, may you pray in the spirit like never before. Now watch this. Why are the torches and pitchers irrelevant? Watch this. I'll show you in just a second. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise and watch. When I come to the edge of the camp, excuse me, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet and all and I, I and all who are with me, then you also shall blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. How do you get your sword? Praying in the spirit. Watch this. Verse 22. When the 300 blew their trumpets had nothing to do with the pitchers. When the 300 blew their trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp and the army fled. <laughs> when you pray in the spirit, God turns your enemy's sword against themselves. He turns your enemy's sword against themselves. Now the beauty of this whole thing is this. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We don't fight against flesh and blood. But if flesh and blood sets themselves up against you, they will pay for it. <laughs> they will pay for it. If it's flesh and blood, if somebody steps against you, let them. Let them. David said, it's better for me to tell you who my God is, because if I don't, it's not going to end well for you. <laughs> Our job is not to fight. Our job is to blow the trumpet. Our job is to pray in the spirit. And when you pray in the spirit, what does he do? He causes you to possess. He causes your enemies to turn on themselves. And whatever the Lord has given for you to possess, you will possess. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen.